Thank you for downloading this podcast from Teaching Magazine. I'm Jo Earp, and you're listening to episode 18 of The Research Files. The Australian Child and Wellbeing Project involves a team of researchers from Flinders University, the University of New South Wales, and the Australian Council for Educational Research. One of its key messages is the importance of capturing student voice. In fact, in its final report, it reads, young people are experts in their lives. They were the key informants in this study and should be the key informants on policies affecting them. Lead researcher, Associate Professor Jerry Redmond of Flinders University, joins me now to talk about the project. Jerry, welcome to the research files. Uh, now, let's start first of all with that message, the importance of student voice. The report itself notes that the voices of students have been largely absent uh, from research actually about them. Uh, why do you think this is? Well, I suppose traditionally um, children have been seen as best seen and not heard. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we have this still this lingering um, expectation that children really don't have much of value to say or to contribute. And this is increasingly challenged, for example, the Convention of the Rights of the Child, which we all uh, uh, subscribe to, which the the government subscribes to, uh, recognizes that uh, children need to be listened to in matters concerning them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's, it's taken a long time for that action message to actually get through. And there's a lot of competition because, for example, in the space of schools, in the space of health, you've got all these experts, you've got teachers, professionals, etc. Uh, you've got parents who claim to speak for children. So there's a lot of competing voices there. And they all have legitimate things to say, but that doesn't mean that children's voices themselves should be crowded out. Mm-hmm. Now, this was the Australian Child and Wellbeing Project. Students are quite clearly at the centre of this research project. So just take us through how you and your team went about doing that. Okay. Well, what we tried to do from the very start, you're absolutely right, is put put, uh, young people themselves at the centre. So first of all, what we did was we went around and talked to young people in small groups, mostly young people from what you might call marginalized backgrounds, such as indigenous young people, young people with a disability, young people from uh, materially disadvantaged backgrounds. And we asked them simply, very simply, what's important in your lives? What do you think is important? And we used their answers in order to develop a survey questionnaire, a survey instrument that we were then able to conduct across a nationally representative sample of young people in Australia. So the idea was really that we would base our survey, which is not really a child instrument in the sense that, you know, we designed the survey, but we wanted to base it on what children and young people themselves said was important. Mm-hmm. And, and we tried in particular to ensure that the voices of children and young people who are often seen as marginalized were represented in this, that they would see themselves in the survey and that they would feel comfortable in um, completing the survey. So, for example, we ensured that there were audio um, recordings of all the questions so that young people were able to listen to the questions. If they had reading difficulties, they didn't have to read them out. They could listen to the questions. 
they could they, they answer the questions by, by clicking on a button. It was all done online. So what we tried to do was make it as, as user-friendly as possible to marginalized young people, uh, as well as to Australian young people in general, and as well as that, base it on the ideas of young people themselves. Now, this study uh, involved, um, as you mentioned, a, a follow-up survey, and that was students in the years four, six, and eight, and I think it was, was it 5,400 students? Uh, Correct. Yes. Yep. And uh, so years four to eight, that's eight to 14-year-olds roughly. So to, to quote another of the report's key messages back to you, if you like, um, it says the middle years are important. There's a lot going on in young people's lives at this time, and policy needs to pay attention to more than their academic achievement. Again, why has middle years been a neglected area? It's an interesting question. Um, you, you may note that over the last 15 or 20 years or so in Australia, there's been a lot of focus on the early years about the plasticity of the brain in early childhood when this is a time when things can uh, happen when uh, young people are um, have their biggest developmental spurts and if you, if, you, if you set them right in the early years, they'll be okay right through their lives. And so therefore, there's been a lot of focus in the last 15, 20 years on early, year, uh, early years education, on quality childcare, etc. Um, there's always been a lot of focus on adolescence because it's a time of risk when young people take risks and they get in trouble with the law and um, they compromise their health in various ways. So there's also been a, a bit of a focus on adolescence in one way or the other. But in the middle, there's been very little, and I think the reason is because it's been assumed that not much is happening in this time. It's just a time when children go to school, nearly all the children are at school. Um, they're not out in the streets causing problems. Uh, the assumption is that if you sorted them out developmentally in the early years, well, they'll travel fine through the middle years. But increasingly, this is found to be not the case. And I, what, what, what surprises me is that if you ask any teacher or professional who deals with children and young people, I reckon they already know this. That You see it, for example, in um, the transition from primary school to secondary school that huge numbers of children find really difficult. But now you also see it in new uh, medical research, which shows that uh, the onset of puberty starts much earlier than uh, people really thought, much earlier than, than visible signs of puberty, and that these changes uh, are associated with changes in outlook, with changes in attitude, with uh, a lot of other changes that can impact on a whole range of different areas of young people's lives. So it's, it's becoming increasingly important that we do need to focus a lot more on the middle years than we have today. Mm -hmm. Now, finally then, uh, before you go, moving on to the results, what are some of the findings coming from this work and the implications, importantly, for classroom practitioners? Okay. Now, when we're talking about well-being, this is often seen as a bit of a nebulous term. Um, but what we've tried to do is, is make the concept of well-being as concrete as possible. When we're talking about well-being, what we're talking about is the relationship between uh, experiences, concrete experiences of young people and how they think about these experiences or how it impacts on them. So, for example, we talk about hunger. We talk about the relationship between hunger and bullying. So young people who go to school or bed hungry are much more likely to be bullied than young people who do not go to school or bed hungry. And this is an indicator, if you like, of low well-being. Uh, we talk about missing school. 
young people who um, are bullied are much more likely to miss school than young people who are not bullied. And again, this is a clear indicator of low well-being, not just in one area in terms of uh, missing out on education, but also in another area in terms of uh, experience of uh, victimisation. Um, similarly, young people with small support networks who don't have a large number of adults and other people who they can rely on, who they feel close to, tend to feel much more, uh, they have worse health problems, they're much more likely to be bullied at school, they have much lower, um, much lower, lower view of their whole lives than young people with larger support networks. And this, this, is, this then becomes really important. It raises the question of how can uh, policy, how can schools, how can uh, communities um, ensure that children have adequate support networks so that, so that uh, they have people to call on when they need help. So, so the whole point of looking at well-being is to link up these different findings in different domains. So sure, a lot of what goes on in young people's lives at this stage happens in schools, but a lot of what happens outside of the school impacts also on what goes on inside the schools. And when we're thinking about policy solutions, we need to think of the whole child or the whole student, not just the part of the student that attends school between nine and three every day. Now, uh, there's a lot more detail, obviously, in the final report, which you've recently released and will include a link on our website. But uh, for now, Associate Professor Jerry Redmond, thanks very much for sharing your work with the research files. Very glad to. Thank you. You've been listening to an episode of the Research Files from Teacher Magazine. To download all of our podcasts for free, visit acer.ac forward slash teacher iTunes or www.soundcloud.com forward slash teacher hyphen acer. To find out more about the research discussed in this podcast and to access the latest articles, videos and infographics, visit www.teachermagazine.com.au.